What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk, presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I am your host, Bob. I'm hanging out talking my favorite hometown Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much, man. I, I went to the one Indians game during the New York series. That that was the worst. Yesterday's game, mm-hmm. the eight to one beat down. Unfortunately, picked the one game in the series that that wasn't very competitive, but had a good time with our uncle. So can't complain too much. But uh, I think we both would have had a, a little bit better time if they had uh, at least played a little bit better, or, or especially if they had come away with a win. Yeah, definitely not uh, the best uh, week for the Indians. A uh, lot of nationally tele- televised games, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit about the the those series against the, the Yankees and Red Sox later. But sorry that you you saw one of the bad ones because there were some good ones mixed in there. Our parents were at the Friday game with Yoshella's awesome play, so uh, we yeah. got a couple awesome plays to talk about with the Indians too. There there was some good in the bad and the ugly last week, but. As you said, we'll get to that a little later. Yeah, well, uh, we've been talking a lot of Indians on this podcast, but football is is certainly right around the corner. So we're going to check in with uh, Brown's training camp and and some news coming out yesterday that Brock Osweiler uh, is named the starting quarterback for the first preseason game against the New Orleans Saints, uh, beaten out. Uh, incumbent Cody Kessler and rookie highly touted rookie Deshaun Kaiser uh, to get that starting nod Chris I mean this is quite the journey for uh, a guy that was essentially traded only because of the second round pick that was included with him now he's the Browns preseason starter Uh, how big a deal is this for Brock Osweiler I have mixed feelings about this well first off I was in the minority when the Browns traded for Brock Osweiler. I love the deal, not just for the pick, but for the quarterback they got. Because Brock Osweiler, I think, has more upside than anyone on the Browns roster for the last, I'd say, 10 years, easily. So the fact that they got this guy and a second-round pick, I thought was a win-win because Brock Osweiler's a low-risk investment, even though he carries a big cap number this year, could release him next year if it doesn't work out. So so for me, this isn't that surprising because you look at the roster, Cody Kessler had a okay rookie year, especially given the circumstances. Yes, he completed a lot of passes, 65%, but he didn't put the fear that an elite quarterback should in the defense. You know, you didn't get the sense that he was the answer. You, you, you kind of felt that he would be, kind of have a high floor low ceiling kind of career and Deshaun Kaiser is a second round pick fell for a number of reasons uh, um, you know he has a good the makeup of a quarterback the technique of a quarterback but but there were some issues at Notre Dame that maybe he has to iron out before he's ready so Brock Osweiler's played two years in the NFL he's got about 21 starts to his name in Denver he went five and two in Houston, they still went 8-6, and six, but he didn't play very well. His completion percentage dipped below 60%. So, Bob, I, I got to tell you, I'm not shocked that Brock Osweiler is the, the man heading into this thing just because just look at the experience he has compared to the other guys, and, and it's really no contest. Yeah, for sure. And just a quick correction, Brock Osweiler's had five seasons of experience. Um, two, two, oh. The past two seasons, he's been more in the forefront with getting some starts. And obviously last year is supposed to be his 
big come out year as the starter for Houston, but he was on those Denver teams since 2012. Um, so yeah, he's got tons more experience than Cody Kessler or Deshaun Kaiser. Um, I, I agree with you, man. Uh, you know what you're getting with Cody Kessler. I, I think his his numbers don't tell the the entire story. I mean, he, he has a high quarterback rating, uh, but just doesn't didn't seem to to, to be a game changing quarterback and an zero and eight record and all those starts doesn't help. Also. Uh, just couldn't stay on the field. I mean, they wanted they wanted him to get all the the reps that he possibly can, but uh, he he just took way too many hits. Now, the Browns' offensive line last year was atrocious. Uh, they had issues everywhere, so that's not all Kessler's fault. But at six foot one, uh, y- you have to wonder if he's built to survive in this league, as opposed to Brock Osweiler, who's six foot seven, two forty, and two forty. Uh, that means he outweighs Kessler by about 16 pounds as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, Osweiler, if he can reclaim some of the mojo that he showed at times in the starts he had uh, in Denver's Super Bowl winning season when he replaced Peyton Manning, I, I think the Browns would be onto something and they could actually have you know, all the quarterbacks that they need for the future. They have the 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 project that can inherit the role in the long term and be a star in Kaiser they have the interim in Osweiler who has shown that he's serviceable and they have Kessler who you know what you're going to get if you roll him out there on the field he's going to get some completions he's going to run the offense but you don't want him to be out there for 16 games and expect to be a a contending team so I think this is the way to do it Uh, as you said Osweiler that they have the is on the shortest leash they can let him go after this season uh, so if they don't like what they see, they can cut him and then turn to Kessler and Kaiser later in the season. Also, uh, you know, Brock Osweiler going out there week one and looks like a competent quarterback. You don't know who's going to get hurt in preseason. They might be doing this to showcase him because uh, there was talk of they acquired Osweiler and they immediately wanted to flip him for some draft additional draft compensation. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is just a move to uh, – increase his value and show the rest of the teams what Brock Osweiler can bring to the table yeah and I'm certainly not ruling that out either though I would be more on board with that theory had Miami not just signed Jay Cutler for 10 million dollars and and we can talk about that later I'm I'm not too keen on that signing but had Miami not done that with the news that Ryan Tannehill might be out for the year, certainly after that first preseason game, I could have seen the the Dolphins maybe calling the Browns had Osweiler turned in a good effort, and, and maybe that's where you flip him because uh, the Dolphins certainly reeling after uh, what 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 looked like they were taking a major step forward, getting to the playoffs. Tannehill looked like he was the answer and then he gets injured at the end of last year and now he's already injured this year so so Bob I I do think that there is another motivation to start him early to showcase him early and that way if there's another team out there that maybe gets a quarterback injury or wants to result maybe has a change of heart on Osweiler they might come calling and offer the Browns a draft pick so so I'm not I, I don't think anyone should rule out the possibility that Osweiler could get traded during the preseason or before week one um but yeah I agree I agree with everything you said if Osweiler pans out you have just the three types of quarterbacks you want on your roster 
the 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 short term answer, the long term answer, and then the safe guy who can come in if anyone gets hurt, and, and he's not going to lose the game. You know, he can he can steer the ship for a while, and I think that that is probably going to be Cody Kessler's role in the NFL. Now, maybe something will happen, the light will click. But when I look at him, yeah, he completed 65.6% of his passes, but he only averaged 153.3 yards per game. That screams kind of low-risk, low-reward kind of quarterback. Now, again, it's not all his fault. It's not like he was playing with the Patriots wide receivers or anything like that. I mean, the Browns did not have much of an offensive line. Their weapons outside of Terrell Pryor were ho-hum at best. So... I don't think Kessler has had the fairest of chances to shine in the NFL just yet. So so I'm not going to just, you know, brand him something and write him off. But I do think that the other two guys on the roster, or at least the other two guys talked about on the roster, uh, Kaiser and Osweiler, have more upside than he does. Yeah, for sure. I think Kessler is a fine NFL player that, that deserves a, a roster spot. He, he proved that with, with what he did last season. But yeah, I mean the physical tools. He he just lacks some of the things you want out of your prototypical starting quarterback, and he's going up against two guys uh, on the Browns roster and Kaiser and Osweiler that have everything you want in a quarterback. It's just whether they can put it all together. Both of them are big-bodied, mobile, have strong arms um, and, and accurate arms. It's just do they have that mental ability to to be the quarterback? And that's where Kessler has the edge, but. Uh, if Osweiler and Kaiser get close, uh, they're they're going to put Kessler in the dust. Um, yeah, I mean the the, the Cutler thing as well. Uh, you know, Adam Gase being the head coach, I, I think that skews that whole situation. Um, you know, we we saw last season with Tony Romo going down in preseason. Um, other quarterbacks are going to get hurt. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater as well, even before preseason and training camp, getting hurt last season. Uh, there are going to be opportunities, and I, I do think that that. It is definitely at the forefront for the Browns, but maybe he's, I mean, they have to, they have to have seen something out of Osweiler to, to start him. And so maybe it'll, it'll turn into, Hey, he's actually a lot better than we thought. And we're, and we're going to end up keeping him. But um, I, I do think they're showcasing him and, and, and trying to elevate his status a little bit. Yeah, no, they're definitely showcasing him. I do think if a team came along with a Godfather like offer, they would pull the trigger on it. Because I, I don't know if Osweiler's the long-term answer. He's young enough to be the long-term answer. I mean, best-case scenario, this guy develops into a franchise quarterback. You've got the answer, and you have a draft pick next year on top of that. So, you know, all due respect to Sean Kaiser, if Brock Osweiler takes the job, hey, I, I don't think Cleveland fans are going to complain about that. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, you looked at what Minnesota paid to get Sam Bradford away from Philadelphia – uh, Bob, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Injuries do happen late. Uh, maybe a team plays their first preseason game and is like, okay, we underestimated just how badly we need a quarterback. Let's go trade for one. Uh, so I, I, I could, you know, a number of things could happen between now and week one. Uh, so, so I don't think Brock Osweiler's out of the woods just yet. But, but I also think that the trade rumors were a little bit overblown. I do think the Browns saw something in Osweiler to trade for him. And I think he's easily better than anyone on the roster last year and probably anyone who's been on the Browns roster for the last 10 years, e- easily since Derek Anderson. Yeah, he has that potential. I mean, d- dude, the Browns quarterbacks, I mean, that's no 
that's no compliment to Brock Osweiler. I, I, I guess he is top three quarterbacks the Browns have ever had. I, I, I haven't listed them in, in a long time because they are just all atrocious. But yeah, I guess him, Derek Anderson, maybe Tim Couch at, at his prime. I mean, that's probably the, the, the three best quarterbacks I can name right now. I think it says a lot that one of the three best quarterbacks has not taken a real NFL snap with the Browns yet, and he's already in the top three. Like like that that that's how bad it's been, Bob. We're putting a guy yeah. who hasn't taken a real snap with the Browns yet in our top three. Um but but seriously though, Brock Osweiler is probably one of the thirty two best quarterbacks in the NFL, which means he's a starter somewhere. I'm not saying he's a franchise quarterback. I'm not saying he's an elite quarterback. But I think Brock Osweiler is a starting quarterback on at least five to seven teams in this league. Which means he's better than anything that that was on the roster last year. Because I don't think the Browns had a starting quarterback on their roster last year. Look at RG3. No one, no, 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 nothing there. You know, Josh McCown may start in New York by default, but he's a career backup. And Cody Kessler, I just think, has a low – I don't think Cody Kessler is a starting quarterback. So, Brock Osweiler right there, just by adding him, you've added a starting quarterback to your roster. You did not have that last year. You've already improved the position, even if Brock Osweiler isn't elite. He can just be below average, and you've improved the position because you at least have a below average starting quarterback. And below average Brock Osweiler on a really good team still went eight and six last year. Yeah, 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 for for sure. I mean, yeah, Brock Osweiler definitely has has potential, absolutely, and and he's better than certainly better than RG three has been in the, over the last few seasons, uh, and will be this year as well. So, um, yeah, it, I think it's a positive that that he got the nod, that he outplayed Kaiser and, and Kessler, and only good things can can happen from from this start. Um, so we'll definitely keep an eye on how Brock Osweiler does uh, against New Orleans in, in the first preseason game for the Browns. Uh, also going to keep an eye on, obviously, the number one overall pick, Miles Garrett, uh, who's been going toe-to-toe with Joe Thomas uh, the past week in, in training camp. Uh, Joe Thomas oozing praise for Miles Garrett, uh, you know, also showing him up uh, not uh, – pulling some moves against Miles Garrett and giving giving him a little bit of trash talk. So, Chris, I mean, we got a future Hall of Famer in Joe Thomas, the the best Cleveland Brown uh, in the expansion era, and one of the best offensive linemen uh, of the 21st century, and Joe Thomas going up, going up against this this young uh, rookie phenom that, that the Browns have. How, how exciting is it that those two get to spar in training camp? Very, because... Who better to learn from if you're Miles Garrett than Joe Thomas? I mean, there are a handful of left tackles that are, I would consider, better than Joe Thomas, even at this stage in his career. So, man, you if you have to practice against Joe Thomas, I, I think that that's going to make – it's one of the rare situations where it might actually make the game a little bit easier for Miles Garrett just because you're getting that kind of quality in practice – in Joe Thomas. And yeah, it's been fun to see kind of the trash talk back and forth. Of course, all in good fun. But Miles Garrett got him for he got past him for a sack on a cup on a play or two. So uh it's certainly encouraging to see Miles Garrett rise up to the challenge of going against a pro bowler 
and, and, and you know, Joe Thomas being the kind of guy he is, uh, a force in the locker room, I am sure is, uh, you know, certainly maybe not pulling any punches, but at the same time, I would imagine he's a great resource for Miles Garrett to lean on and try to develop into an elite pass rusher to turn uh, some of the tricks Joe Thomas might be teaching him against some of the uh, opposition um, on the other side of the field. So so I, I think it's great that these two are paired up with one another. I think it's great that, that Miles Garrett can be challenged this way in practice because it's, it's an opportunity that not many rookies uh, are afforded. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Joe Thomas approaching... 10,000 consecutive snaps uh, in the NFL. I hope Miles Garrett uh, can pick up that trait from Joe Thomas and, and never miss the field because I think that is, you know, the skills and, and the talent. Uh, obviously, Joe Thomas has that and has been one of the most talented offensive linemen, but to not miss a snap in your entire career is insane to me. <laughs> Knocking on wood right there, Bob. Yeah. Yeah, Joe, I mean, Joe Thomas uh, is beyond superstition. He's playing on the Browns for crying out loud, and he's he's got that streak. So, uh, And I'm not the first person to bring that up. So, No, no you're certainly not. But, man, 10,000 consecutive snaps is just – it's unreal. Yeah. I'm, that, that is a true Iron Man streak. It's a true Iron Man streak. Yeah, for sure. I'm not I'm not knocking Brett Favre or Peyton Manning or anyone like that or, or Tom Brady because they've all had this consecutive start streak at some point. Brett Favre obviously being the big one. But don't you think it's kind of wrong that quarterbacks still get a start even in week 17 when they only play for like six minutes? Doesn't that kind of distort the Iron Man streak a little bit? I I feel like Joe Thomas' streak is a true Iron Man streak. Well, yeah, I mean, we're talking about snaps. I mean, all of the quarterbacks that you mentioned leave the game if they're getting blown out or if they are blowing out the other team. Uh, yeah, we're, I mean, this is a, a pure Ironman streak. We're talking about never missing the field when the offense is out there. That's ridiculous. And, and getting contact on every single play, that, obviously that doesn't happen to a quarterback if you have a successful play or if you run the ball. Uh, Joe Thomas is initiating contact every single snap. All 10,000 of the snaps he has made contact with somebody, and that's ridiculous that he has stayed on the field for that long. Not just somebody, probably the nastiest person on the other side yeah. of the field, yeah. too, nine times out of ten. Yeah. What what a dude. But, um, well, switching sports, and unfortunately this guy is not uh, on an Ironman streak of his own. Uh, really b- bad news for, for the Cleveland Indians. Andrew Miller going to the disabled list. Uh, hasn't really looked himself uh, in the second half post All-Star break uh, and with giving up a, a big double in one of the best games of the season, uh, that Boston-Cleveland uh, game that, that was just insane, had, had tons of highlights. But after that game, uh, Andrew Miller landed on the disabled list. Um, Chris, can, can the Indians absorb this loss in, in the bullpen without their star reliever? In the short term, yes. I, I think they can get to the playoffs without Andrew Miller I think if Andrew Miller's injury drags into October if he misses playoff games um, then it's cause for concern I certainly think they could still win the division I certainly still think they can get to the playoffs without Andrew Miller because they do have a deep bullpen they do have a good rotation They, they have a good enough team to absorb this loss in the short term but if we're talking about all the way to the World Series, Bob, I mean, everyone in Cleveland saw how valuable he was in that postseason. Now, 
if Salazar and Bauer and Carrasco are pitching the way they are, well, well, maybe not Carrasco last week, but but you get what I mean overall. Uh, Kluber's going to have a little more reinforcements behind him, and, and you won't have to go to the bullpen as often as you did when you just had Tomlin and Bauer uh, pitching as your two or three guys. But, Bob, I mean, this guy was the ALCS MVP. This guy was a huge reason why the Indians didn't blow any leads in the playoffs. At least, you know, rarely did teams have a shot if the Indians jumped on them first, even if they maybe got to the starter late. Francona would just put in Miller for three innings and shut him down. He used him kind of like as a hybrid second starter very creatively throughout the postseason. So I, I do think their contend their their championship sh- um, chances take a shot if Andrew Miller misses the playoffs. But hopefully it's not that serious and he'll he'll be back by September. That 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 would be the best case scenario for me. But but I think in the short term they can absorb the loss. If he's missing the rest of the year, that is a huge blow to this team. Yeah, for for sure. Um, yeah, I mean a- Andrew Miller is—he's so good at a position that it is so unheralded and undervalued, but still everyone knows his name and recognizes that he's one of the the three best players on, on the Indians roster. Uh, the Indians need him in the postseason, especially uh, when bullpens take on a much more intense. Uh, role they, they can essentially pitch the last five innings and Andrew Miller as we saw last season as, as you were talking about uh almost single-handedly pitched the Indians in, in, into winning a World Series now he had some some help with uh Cody Allen and, and Corey Kluber for sure but Andrew Miller was, was in the thick in, 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 of that and, and the focal point of, of all those moves without him I, I don't know if the Indians can can do a repeat the good news uh for me at least is that uh this is just some tendonitis in, in the right knee. Uh, it, it's not a tear or a break or anything. Just sounds like he needs some time off. Um, and since the All Star break, you know he he's had multiple appearances, over eight appearances, only given up three earned runs. Still has a one six seven ERA. It's just he start he's walking guys. His command isn't uh, what it used to be. Uh, since the All Star break, he's. Uh, walked four batters which is a lot for Andrew Miller to do in in such a short span Um, that sounds to me like he just needs some time off this is not a a long injury not a injury that's going to require a whole lot of rehab so I I do think Andrew Miller is going to be back in in time for some regular regular season baseball Uh, the good news is as you were saying you know Danny Salazar looks fantastic Uh, the, the Indians certainly have the starting rotation to uh, pitch a little bit deeper into games and, and give the bullpen some relief. Um, and that, that's due also why the, the Indians went out and got a guy like Joe Smith to add to that bullpen depth because they're going to need to lean on those guys a lot more uh, as October comes around. Yeah, no, certainly the injury of itself doesn't seem too serious. What I'm more worried about is, you know, tonight's can be one that hangs around for a while. And obviously the Indians are going to be very careful with him, but what I would worry is he would come back and then maybe it flares up at an inopportune time for the tribe. I think that would be more the worry than this injury in and of itself knocking him out for the rest of the year. Yes, that's a valid point, but I would say uh, an 80% Andrew Miller is still definitely worth having around, and I think that's what he was doing post-All-Star break. Uh, he had lots of experiences er, appearances post-All-Star break where he uh, was his usual self didn't allow a hit 
got some strikeouts uh, and, and got the hold or the save. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think he's going to be back. Is he going to be a hundred percent? Probably not because like you said, tendonitis does tend to linger and nag around, but it seems like he has already been able to pitch through it. They're just being a little precautious, a uh, little cautious and um, giving him some rest to see if he can uh, fully recover from, from that knee tendonitis. Uh, but talking about some actual baseball, uh, we, we alluded to in, in the start, and we talked a little bit about that wild uh, game in in Boston. Uh, Chris, that not not the best showing from the Indians against two of the the most popular teams in baseball uh, in in Boston, uh, losing to uh, the third game got rained out, uh, and then splitting the, a four game series at home against the New York Yankees. Uh, so a, a two and and six. Uh, record against those two teams not exactly what you wanted especially that 12 to 10 loss uh in boston uh definitely wanted that one and it seems like they they were on the verge of of winning that game at, at multiple points um chris what are you taking away from uh that's the those six games uh obviously both the the yankees and red sox are our playoff teams so uh any any cause for concern no i don't think so because it's a very tough portion of the schedule uh, obviously, you'd like to see a better than two and four record. Uh, obviously, you'd like to see them maybe win one more against New York to go three and one against them. Obviously, you'd want them to win that wild game. I mean, they put twelve runs on, and and Chris Sale was starting. Chris Sale is going to win the Cy Young. He was before that start on his way to a triple crown, and then the Indians laid about seven earned runs on his ERA. So. Uh, it just shows that Chris Sale may have left the Central Division, but the Cleveland Indians haven't forgotten about him. Because, Bob, you remember when he was with the White Sox, people would be like, uh-oh, it's Chris Sale. And it was like, guys, the Indians kind of own this guy, and they still do. So I think that's a very encouraging sign that they're still not intimidated by Chris Sale. And because the way the divisions are lined up, if the Indians win the Central, they're going to be facing the guys out of the East because there's no way anyone's catching Houston unless they have a collapse of mammoth proportions. So that's a good sign right there that, that they still have it against the, the ace of the Red Sox. And one of the wins against the Yankees, the 5-1 the one to start off the series, came against Sonny Gray, the guy who's going to be the ace of New York. So the first pitcher they're going to see matched up with Kluber in that divisional round if the Indians win the Central Looking pretty good uh, having some success against them. So that's what I'm going to take from this. The 20-10 to 10 game was insane. Obviously disappointing. Carrasco had two disappointing starts this week on Tuesday and then against the Yankees on Sunday. I was actually at that game. But, Bob, as a baseball fan, that 12-10 game was phenomenal. It had it all just wild and crazy. I mean, their bullpen blew it. Our bullpen blew it. Their starter blew it. Our star. I mean, it was just one of those games where things were happening and you just had to enjoy it, uh, especially that catch by Austin Jackson. Uh, a lot of hype, a lot of hype around things that are just are fresh and quick to brand things the greatest ever. Bob, I don't know how you're going to top that catch this year. He was on his head and he still caught the ball. 90 degrees, parallel to the wall, on his head, and he still caught the ball. It's a miracle he didn't get a concussion going into the bullpen. And when you get a standing ovation in Fenway as the opposing team, that's pretty darn good. So so that game was just fun, even though they lost. Um, obviously, you would have liked to see a win, but but it was still a very fun game. Yeah, that catch was insane. Um, for, for me, uh, of all the plays that I've seen, that is the best play uh i've seen in baseball this year 
Um, amazing that he even got his glove on the ball, but like you said, that he held onto it as he flipped into in, into uh, the bullpen it is just ridiculous. And I think Austin Jackson's case for this being the the play of the year is further aided by that fantastic camera angle that is shooting parallel to to the wall. Really gives you some perspective. I think if we didn't have that shot, we, we uh, other plays might uh, have more weight. But uh, when you look at that, it's it's that it's ridiculous what what, what he did. So yeah, for me, play play of the season for sure. Um, yeah, man, tough tough uh, two two series uh, for the Indians. I, I I wish they at least split it. Uh, and they they had chances in in a, in a few of those to to really pull it out, but um, opening a, a quick series against the the Rockies and then going to Tampa Bay, uh, hopefully they'll they'll right the ship uh, this coming week. Uh, Indians did get some good news for for the last game against New York with Jason Kipnis returning to the lineup. Uh, Would have liked to see a little bit more because uh, in four at bats he had three strikeouts, but Chris, it's certainly good to see Jason Kipnis back in in the starting lineup. I think the Indians. Uh, can can use uh, his consistency down down the stretch. Yeah, but man, Giovanni Urshela really came up and did uh, some great work uh, with all the injuries we had uh, at that hot corner at third base. Uh, Bob, I mean, I know you, you you saw the play against New York where he was in foul territory and just threw the guy out trying to score from third. Unbelievable play. Um, that that was against the Yankees on Friday. Our our parents were at that game, uh, so. So he he he's he's got a golden MLB glove. Uh, he just needs to work on his bat a little bit. And if he had if he, his bat's a little bit better, I think he'll be he'll be around for a while. But uh, yeah, it's refreshing to have Jason Kipnis back. Um, obviously, a little rust to shake off. Uh, 0 for four with three strikeouts, as you mentioned, but certainly one of the key cogs in this Cleveland Indians team. And and you know he makes up one heck of an infield for the Indians with with Ramirez at third and Lindor at short. It, it, it's just so refreshing to have depth, Bob, because we've been dealing with these injuries all year long. Every team goes through it, but but it seems like the Indians can withstand it just because they have guys in Columbus who they can just call upon and come up and are really starting to develop into a very deep team. Yeah, definitely. I think they have a, a few guys that, that would be starters on other teams. Urshela certainly has a glove to do it. Tyler Naquin, as we saw last year. Uh, even Austin Jackson is having a fantastic uh, season uh, as the utility outfielder. So, yeah, they, they have depth uh, all across uh, positions, even in the bullpen and the rotation. So uh, really, really refreshing to, to see, as you said. Uh, speaking of that bullpen, obviously we talked about the star, Andrew Miller, getting hurt, but uh, the Indians once again losing their lefties. Boone Logan officially out uh, for the year. Uh, Chris, Andrew Miller on the DL, Logan done for, Logan down, done for the season. Uh, do the Indians need to make a, another move to, to bolster that bullpen? Yeah, Boone Logan doesn't get as much notoriety as Andrew Miller, and, and his numbers were ho-hum. But he was a lefty out of the bullpen, and he definitely took pressure off Andrew Miller Not for Miller not having to match up against every single left-handed bat. So you go from having two lefties in the pen to none, really. And, and yeah, I do think the Indians are going to be looking at waivers to see if they can get another guy uh, that can help add, add another lefty to that pen because it's just so important to, to, to monitor Andrew Miller's workload, especially with him dealing with the tinnitus. Um, so that he doesn't have to come in every time a lefty comes to the plate. Yeah, uh, certainly 
bad bad news in succession for for the bullpen to to lose both their their go to lefties in, in Miller and Logan. I I think they have to make a move. Uh, it doesn't have to be flashy or anything, but they need to get somebody else in that bullpen. And I think uh, there there will certainly be some some relievers available by the waiver deadline where they they can just bolster that and get some depth um, heading heading into to, to the crunch time. Yeah, it'll be like a Kenny Lofton, Coco Chris type waiver trade. I mean, we're not looking for Zach Britton or anything like that, because I don't think he's going to be on waivers. But um, yeah, it'll be it'll be like the bullpen version of one of those moves that they made just to kind of solidify their depth because they I, they do need another lefty in that bullpen, another reliable lefty. Uh, Boone Logan was at least that, and and like I said, his numbers weren't impressive, but but he's a solid lefty to match up against some good left-handed hitting and now you don't have any of that uh really in the bullpen right now yeah all right chris well time to move to our, our favorite topic right now Kyrie irving watch uh rumored price for irving the uh the Cavs are asking for a vet a blue chip prospect a young kid uh and a first round pick uh if the Cavs get that in return for Kyrie irving obviously we not naming names or, or restrictions on the pick uh, Chris, is that fair value in, in general terms? Well, I, I, I think the veteran would be defined as a guy like Eric Gordon, a, a solid veteran, not not someone to just round out the roster. Um, but yeah, yeah, if they get a solid veteran and, and a blue chipper with upside and a first-round pick, I, I think that's fairly fair return. That's probably about the best you're going to do. Obviously, more players might be involved because the NBA salary cap is kind of ridiculous, but I, I think that's a that's a very fair package. Uh, you get two players now and then a first-round pick that you can flip for either more assets or use in the draft next year. Um, so so I do think that that's fair value. Uh, whether or not the, the Cavs will be successful at that uh, remains to be seen. But there seems to be enough interest in Kyrie Irving, and he is enough of a talent that, that I don't think the Cavs are going to have trouble finding offers for Kyrie Irving. Whether or not they find offers they like is a different story because everything is a matter of perspective. And that, that I think that's going to be the tricky part is to trade Kyrie Irving and still remain at the tier that they are on par with the Golden State Warriors. I, I think that's the, the needle they're trying to thread, and, and it's going to be very tricky to get a deal like that done. Yeah, for sure. I, I think the Cavs are, are going to have the problem of getting too many offers to really know and, and and assess the the true value of Kyrie Irving I, I, you know I've heard as many as 20 teams in the NBA so 20 out of the 30 teams or 29 teams that that would acquire to trade Kyrie have have inquired to the Cavs I've heard that at least five have made tangible offers already so I mean I, I think the Cavs are, are gonna have the problem of uh, is now the time where we're getting our max value for Kyrie, or if we wait a couple weeks, play play some teams against each other, we can even boost that up and get more in return. Uh, it's a good situation. It's obviously not a Paul George situation where a gun is held to their head, but um, I, I think it's it is a little bit stressful to think like, is this the best I'm going to get for Kyrie, or or can I wait it out and then maybe that deal uh, falls through and you can't go back to it. Well, yeah, Bob, I mean, you said it best. If you have three or four teams who are seriously going after this guy, that is what you would like to call a seller's market, and uh, that that can only help the Cavs because maybe you can get a little extra, maybe an extra player instead of just those three assets that they're coveting um, in, instead of uh, 
you know, maybe just one veteran, maybe you get two veteran and a blue chip guy. Uh, that might be asking for a little bit much, but again, it, it's all a matter of timing. Right team in the right situation can pull off a great deal. We've seen lopsided trades happen in every sport. Uh, I don't think the Cavs should just knee-jerk and jump at the first offer. I think they should wait until December or, or whenever. Whenever they feel they get the best offer, uh, make the move. If they feel that they cannot repair the bridge that uh, Kyrie Irving is uh, burned. Uh, so, which kind of seems unlikely at this point. Yeah. Teams the, the the teams trying to trade from don't have as much leverage as you think because Kyrie Irving still has a contract for two years and a lot can happen in two years. A, a ton can happen in two years. So um, if, if he were going to be a free agent next year, it would be a different story. But that extra year, I, I'm not too worried about the Cavs uh, being you know kind of held hostage by Kyrie and his list of teams because – you know, he, he doesn't have that much leverage, and, and he's under contract for two seasons. So so whoever trades for him is going to have two years of Kyrie Irving and, and, and the incumbent advantage of re-signing Kyrie Irving for more money than any other team. So, so those are some very valuable things that teams would covet in addition to having a player with Kyrie Irving's upside. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, uh, I think the Cavs have most of the cards on, on in their hand. Um obviously the more public this gets the the less of an advantage they'll have but uh Kyrie's contract and and the status of that contract and the value of that contract uh put most of the chips uh on the Cavs side in, in terms of making a deal so um I don't I don't know when it's going to happen it could happen tomorrow it could happen during training camp or it could happen in December as you said but eventually the Cavs are going to get some value in terms of that bridge being burnt, I, I think it is uh, the, the embers are cooling off. <laughs> I think I think it is burnt. I, I don't see how you can go back, but um, maybe th- there is a possibility that once they come together in camp, they, they could re, re rehash that, rebuild that bridge. But as of right now, I think the bridge is is destroyed. It certainly seems that way, especially after the the video. Now, look, I, I don't like to read too much into a video, but anytime you have teammate egging on a rival it just doesn't look good (laughs) and uh, yeah well I I kind of agree with you I I would be pretty surprised if they can um mend those wounds um I I do think ideally an offer presents itself before tip-off but with all those free agents being locked up the the recently signed players until mid-December I don't know if that's feasible yeah I don't know either Maybe they all have a handshake deal, kind of like what they did with the Wiggins love trade, but uh, we will have to see. I mean, certainly it's fun to to read rumors about it. I, I do think if Phoenix is willing to put Josh Jackson on the table, that deal gets done. I, I, yeah. I, 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 that's the rumor I believe the most. And if Phoenix comes around to putting Josh Jackson on the table, I, I think that's the that's the one deal I think could get done soon. I, I would be surprised to see another deal get done in in the immediate future but but i think if phoenix is just willing to put josh jackson on the table that deal is done yeah i i do too i think they would pull that trigger uh today if if they if they find out that he's on there with eric bledsoe obviously yeah so yeah all right well uh that's it for the news chris what is your fake headline for the week i'm setting the bar low i just want to come in on monday get ready to record with you bob 
and not have to talk about a significant Browns injury after the first preseason game. So simple, no Browns hurt against the Saints. That's all I want. Everyone stays healthy. And if they play well, great. I'd love it, but that's the bar. I just don't want any big injuries to happen before this season even takes off. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I, I would love that. Um, the Browns, it seems every year, it is more more injured than, than normal uh, for, for a team. So that would be fantastic if they, they come out of their first preseason game uh, as healthy as an NFL team can be. Uh, I'm sticking with the, the preseason as well this Thursday against the Saints. Uh, I, I, I want to come together on Monday and talk about how good Brock Osweiler looked. I think that would be really refreshing for game one, the first quarter, first half, uh, Osweiler led some, some very meaningful drives, and, and we actually have um, some clarity at the uh, the quarterback position, and it's not just quarterback starter by default. That would also be very refreshing because, uh, as we've said multiple times on this podcast, it's been a while since we've seen a competent quarterback play in Cleveland, at yeah. least wearing a Browns uniform in Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. Alrighty, guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. We will be back next week to recap Browns preseason action, the Tribe, and the latest Kyrie Irving rumor, if there is one. Maybe maybe it won't be a rumor. Maybe it'll be an actual story. Who knows? Uh, but until then, you can catch up on old episodes of Clee Talk and, of course, this one. Uh, on our website, FenleyRoadSports.com. You can subscribe via iTunes. Just click the icon on FenleyRoadSports.com or search for Fenley Road Sports on iTunes and click Clee Talk. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram by searching Fenley Road Sports. We appreciate your support, and we hope you come back next week for another episode of Clee Talk. But until then, go Browns and go Tribe. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take it easy, Bob.